So, um, be seated, please. Um, before I get started tonight, I just uh, want to tell you what an honor this is to be able to come up here and, and speak to you all tonight. Um, don't get this, this opportunity very often. And when Pastor came up to me before he left and said, um, Colin, I want you to preach on, on this Wednesday. You know, the outside immediately says, absolutely, I'd be happy to, Pastor, you know. Just kind of hold that chin up high and everything. The inside, you're going, excuse me, you know. Um, because one thing's for certain, and I'll make this clear with you guys right now, I'm not a preacher, okay. But um, it's an honor because to see where God has been able to bring my life, you know, and to see that I could one day, to think that I could one day come up here and, and try my best to share with you what I, what I have gained out of his word, that's, that's an honor. The last time I spoke up here was probably two years ago, and I shared my testimony then. I'm not going to bore you all with the details, but a lot of you that are in here have known me for many, many years, uh, but there's still quite a few that, that really don't know who I am. My name is Kyle Yates, and I am a redeemed drug addict and alcoholic. Yeah. I, I used to say recovered drug addict and alcoholic, but that's just not so. I mean, recovery is where you go through and, and, and you're pretty well able to pull yourself up and everything and do that. But no, I'm, I'm a redeemed drug addict and alcoholic. I, I, was, I was paid for 2,000 years ago up, up on Calvary. So um, I am a sanctified drug addict and alcoholic. I, I have been set aside by God to do good works for him, I'm, uh, to be used as a tool. And y'all, that's just an honor. I mean, that is just such an honor to, to know where I've been and then to be up here in front of you nice folks and, and to be able to have this opportunity. It's just truly a joy. Um, you know, I don't know how to make an outline I couldn't write up a sermon if I tried. I don't know how to come up with four points that all start with the same letter. You know? I don't, I don't know how to make sure that one of those points has five sub points. You know? I don't know how to do that. One thing I do know is that I'm in love with this book. You know, I'm in love with this. The, y'all know this book is alive. You can read something today and then go back and read the same thing next week and it's going to tell you something different. And then the next week is going to tell you something different. It's alive. So really, all I know how to do, y'all, is to maybe, you know, share with you a little nugget that I've pulled out of this wonderful love letter that God wrote to us. And um, that's what I want to do tonight. And what I'm going to be speaking on tonight is prayer. You know, and I thought about it long and hard. And I was like, what do I want to talk about? And, of course, when you do that, you never come up with it. So you start praying, you know, and you start praying. You start saying, God... What do you want me to, to share with Bethel that Wednesday night that I'm speaking? And, you know, I got to thinking back to when I was a, a new Christian and, and, and the, 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 the young people that I'm able to minister to right now. I mean, just as, I'm going to let y'all know right now also that every once in a while I'm going to head on down a bunny trail. Just bear with me when I do that. I, I'll be talking about something also, and I'll go, oh, yeah, that reminds me. And now I'll, I'll just kind of head down this trail, but bear with me. I promise you I'm going to wheel right back around and get on this thing. But, um, you know, uh, God's, 
really able to use me and, and uh, my band ministry planning yesterday is able to do a lot of wonderful things for the young people. He's opened up a lot of doors for us and uh, we're able to get out there and really speak to the unchurched, the unsaved. And that's what our music is geared towards. The music that me and my band play is not really meant for Christian kids. We get a ton of Christian kids that come because we are a Christian rock band. But we, our, our songs and our lyrics are geared towards lost kids. You know, kids that normally wouldn't come in here and sit and listen to me speak. Um, but you can hook them with that music. And, and, you know, what's been amazing is to watch how these kids... Um, we, we maintain relationships with them. It's, not, it's, it's nothing at one of our concerts to spend 30 minutes afterwards just doing nothing but handing out our cell phones and our, our, our cell phone numbers and our email addresses and everything like that because, you know, when you, when you witness to these kids and they give their life to the Lord, they've got to have discipleship, you know, and we encourage them to get plugged into a local youth group or church, but we also we give them our cell number and we give them our email address and we say, listen, if you need to talk to anyone, give me a call. And one of the, the things that I hear more than anything from these young people that, I, that I'm able to minister to, after a few weeks of being saved, they come back and they're like, Kyle, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to do. And, you know, I remember being the same way. I remember being a new Christian, and I, I, I didn't know how to read this, you know. I didn't know how to pray. I, I, I have heard people pray, and I was like, oh, God, there's no way I could do that. In fact, the first time I ever came to Bethel Assembly of God, the first time I ever went to an Assembly of God church. You can imagine what that was like, you know. And I'm sitting up there, and all of a sudden the preacher says, well, let us pray. And I bow my head, because I'm used to going to Baptist church, you know. I'd, I'd go like every Easter and Christmas, you know. And uh, he said, bow your heads and pray. And I bowed my head, and man, all of a sudden the place just erupted in prayer. And my head just shot up. My eyes were got as big around as saucers. And I was just looking around going, what is this, you know. But then, you know, you try to focus in on some of the real prayer warriors and you start thinking, you know, I could never pray like that. I just can't believe Listen, Listen to those words he's using. Oh, powerful, almighty, you know, these and thous and this is, if you want to really get into the old-fashioned the old fashioned ones and everything. Some of the older preachers use a lot of that King James talk and everything. And like a lot of these young people that I deal with, I struggled with prayer. I struggled with reading this Bible. I didn't know where to begin. Now, I will say, and this is a free plug, one of the things that changed my life, and it was years into my time of being a Christian, I read the book, A Purpose Driven Life. If you've never read that book, and if you're struggling with some of these things, if you're struggling with reading the Bible and how to pray, read The Purpose Driven Life. Let me tell you something. There's not a single chapter in that book that talks about how to pray and how to read the Bible. So you're probably thinking, well, Kyle, why should I read that book? If there's really nothing in there for learning how to read the Bible and pray. Just by God revealing to me what his purpose was in my life, opened up this, this word here like you would not believe. Just by God revealing to me what his purpose was for my life, before I got into the drugs and alcohol, during the time I was in the drugs and alcohol, and now that I'm redeemed from the drugs and alcohol, was all revealed in that book. He showed me what his purpose was. And by knowing what his purpose was for me, it was amazing how I was able to talk to him. And I finally come to realize that that's all prayer is. It's talking to our father, talking to our dad, you know. And uh, so I try to share that with the young people. And that's what I wanted to talk to you guys about tonight. Now, I'm looking around. I see a lot of people that's been coming to this church forever that are prayer warriors. 
okay? But I guarantee you there's probably one or two in here that are having those same struggles that I'm talking about. And really, this message is going to be geared towards those. You know, when we pray, I used to have three main problems when I prayed. Number one, I was inconsistent. I would go from there being this long, arid, dry spell to suddenly this oasis of prayer. You know, I would go months without praying. Go months without it. But then suddenly I would hear a sermon. Or I would read a book. Or some hardship would happen in my life. The next thing I know, I'm plunging into the prayer. You know, and I'm plunging into communion. And I'm all refreshed. And I, get, and I start thinking, wow, boy, this feels good. I missed this. But then as that journey goes on, my prayers didn't. Right? One of the things I also suffered with was, was insincerity. Man, I mean, my prayers would be rigid and, and memorized and just dry, you know. And even though I was doing it daily, doggone, they were dull, you know. And then the, another aspect that I realized that my prayer life was missing was sometimes I was really missing honesty. Because I honestly believe that the problem that I was currently facing was either too big or too small for God. Anyone ever been there before? You know, we'll pray for our hangnail, but let one of our relatives get cancer. And we're suddenly like, oh my gosh, cancer. Well, we need to start preparing funeral, you know. And the same God that's willing to, to heal your hangnail laughs at cancer laughs at it. It's usually the lack of faith is what keeps the cancer patient from being healed. It's just we don't go through and don't, don't go to him with strength and with belief and with faith that that cancer is going to be healed by God. You know? So we honestly believe that our problem is too big for him or sometimes we honestly believe that our problem is too small for him. We look at it and we say, oh God, you don't want to mess with this. This is a little bit, I'll, I'll take care of this, you know. And we all know what happens then, right? Before you know it, it's as big as cancer, right? And, and you're crawling back to him saying, God, I need you, you know? Well, these are three things that I always faced, problems with prayer. And I finally feel like that I've got my prayer life down to where it's, it's pretty good. You know, I, I am now a firm believer that I am not going to start my day without at least spending time in the Word and praying for about 30 minutes. And if that means I have to drag my ugly, stinky body out of bed to early in the morning to get that done, I do it. And let me tell you something, y'all. It makes a difference because there have been times that I got up and I looked at the clock and I overslept. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I got to go. I, God, I ain't got time to pray. Just bless me. And out the door I go. And that day is the lousiest, lousiest day I ever faced in a week, you know. So I make it a point now. To start each day with prayer and study of the word. Okay? But one thing about my praying. Let, let me go down a rabbit trail with you real quick. One of the things I love to do in my job. I'm a, I'm a, I'm basically, I sell propane for you all that don't know. I'm, I am a living, breathing Hank Hill. I sell, <laughs> I sell propane and propane accessories for, for Amerigas propane. Um, but I'm, I'm, on the, I'm out in the world all day. Thank goodness I don't have to sit behind a desk all day long or anything like that. I'm in my car. I'm out selling. And um, one of the things I love to do is I love to go take my lunch breaks out at the airport. 
They used to have this little park out there that actually had little speakers to where you could hear the pilots talking to the air traffic controllers, and you could sit out there and watch them land. You could hear them talk. Well, they're, they're turning that into, a, I think, another runway now or something. But there's still places you can go out there and sit and park and, and watch the planes. And I love watching these gigantic, you know, the 747s are my favorite, the big, fat airplanes that you look at them and go, how in the world are they staying up in the sky, Right. Well, but that also brings me back to when I grew up in Dimmit, Texas. I grew up on a farm. And uh, right, what, the thing I loved most about living out on the farm were the crop dusters. You know, the guys that fly around in the airplanes and, and, and dust your crops, you know. And one of the things I loved about that is that we always had this field that was right next to my bedroom. I could lean out my bedroom window and spit into this field. And this field was about 30 acres, you know. And usually it was corn or wheat. Houston's from Demet, Texas. Houston knows exactly what I'm talking about. It was usually corn or wheat or cotton. Well, it wasn't anything for once, you know, on a Saturday morning, man, you woke up by this, by your window, and it's this crop duster flying about eight feet off the ground right by your window, you know, everything. And I'd go running outside, wouldn't have nothing on but my fruit of the looms, and I'd go running outside, and I'd look out there, and there'd be Buster Tidwell. He was the local um, uh, crop duster there in Demet, Texas. And there'd be Buster, man, making his round and coming back the other way. And he'd be so close that you could see him. He'd actually smile at me and wave as he flew by me at about 120 miles per hour. And I just thought that was so cool. Well, the point I'm trying to make with all this is that oftentimes we, you can break prayer, uh, prayer people down into two different ways. You've got your jumbo jets, right? High, soaring man, you know their prayers are reaching the upper stratosphere. Pastor's one of them. I tell you what, if you ever came, back when we used to have Saturday night prayer meetings, pastor would actually have to go and pray out in the hallway because no one else could pray in here with him while he prayed because he prays so loud. And even out in the hallway, you were still just like, man, that guy's loud, you know. But when he prays, he prays from right here. I mean, it comes roaring up out of his gut, and he means it. And, and, and we, we all know people like that, the people that just are prayer warriors that just, they're, oh, my goodness. Jeanette Watkins, I wish she was here tonight. If you've never been prayed for by Jeanette Watkins, get prayed for by Jeanette Watkins. That woman will pray the skin right off your body, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, I look at, I look at people like Jeanette. As, as the jumbo jets of prayers, you know. Well, I, and maybe some of you, you're crop dusters, okay? You fly pretty low. You cover the same ground a lot. Sometimes it's hard to get the old engine cranked up, you know? Well, if, if you're like me, and if you're, if you're that crop duster, do I have the man for you? Now, I know you're probably wondering, you're going, okay, Kyle, when are you going to start preaching from the Word? Well, this is where it comes right now. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark, and we're going to start at chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 14 through 29. I'm about to introduce you to someone who's a crop duster, as far as his prayer life goes. But the title of this message tonight, y'all, if you want to have a title, I guess we can title it. But the title of this message is The Power of a Timid Prayer. Okay? Yes. Mark chapter 9. Verses 14 through 29 is what we're going to read. This is all about the power of a timid prayer, y'all. The power of a feeble prayer. 
And I'm hoping that it will touch one of you tonight. For some of you that look at the jumbo jets out there, but you get, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm just a crop duster, this person I'm about to share with you is for you. Starting in verse 14, it says, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the, all, of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Now, I'm going to back up just a little bit. What, the, what has happened here is that Jesus and, and uh, John and James and Peter are returning from the Mount of Transfiguration. We'll cover that in just a second. But they're returning. They see all these people. All these people see Jesus. They were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him, starting at verse 16. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, believing gener- oh unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Now, here we're looking at a very desperate father. Okay, now I'm going to talk to the parents out there, particularly the dads. But this goes to the parents. Let me tell you something about me as a father. My kids, make sure they're not listening. My kids have me right. Now, I'm not going to tell them that, okay, because we've got to be their their parents before we're their friend, right? But deep inside, they got me right here, all right? If one of them coughs in the middle of the night, I'm one of the first ones to wake up and head across the room and start rubbing them and touching them and making sure everything's okay. Wake them up just to say, are you okay? And they'll be like, will you leave me alone? I'm sleeping, you know? Take them a drink of water. If one of them's hurt, oh, Katie, bar the door, you know? I'm I'm going to treat them like they were two. Sorry, it's just the way I am. It's because I love my kids, you know. It doesn't have anything to say about my parenting skills. I think I'm a good parent. Like I said, I'm their daddy before I'm their friend. But they've got me right here. Now, I try to imagine this father. Put yourself in his place. You want to talk about someone's desperate? His son, he's, he's, he's not sick. He's not hurt. He's possessed. He has an evil spirit dwelling inside of him that makes him deaf, that makes him mute. He throws him into fires. 
causes himself to throw himself into water. Can you imagine the scars that are on this kid from the fires alone? How many times has his father had to go run and pull his son out of a fire and roll him around on the ground and put him out? How many times has he had to use whatever salve or whatever they used back then? Maybe they didn't use anything. But how many times has he had to go and coat his son in this salve just to ease the, the pain from these burns? And the kid can't speak. So he can't tell his dad how he feels. He can't. He, what a horrible situation. While this father is watching all the other dads, while what these other dads are watching their son grow up and mature, this one's just working to keep his son alive. You know, just doing everything he can. He can't do anything. He probably can't hold out a job because who knows when the next attack is going to happen. He's got to be right there on guard every time. He's tired and he's frustrated and his prayer shows it. Listen to this prayer. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now, one word would have changed that. What if he would have used the word since? Since you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. That is a jetliner, right? Since you can do anything, Jesus, take pity on us and help my son. But no, no, he was a crop duster. If I'm tired, Jesus, I, I came here, I brought my boy to you. You weren't here. I had to turn him over to your help. They weren't any good, you know. Got the religious leaders over here. They're basically laughing at us. There's people standing around staring at us. If you can do anything, please help us. Please have pity on us and help us, you know. It's a classic crop duster appeal. It's, it's feeble. It's timid. But guess what, y'all? That's where prayer begins. Ordinary people like you and me staring up at Mount Everest. That's where prayer begins. An honest hope that a God in heaven cares enough to hear our feeble little plea. Well, let me tell you something. He does. He hears. Yeah, I used to work for this company called Qdoba Mexican Grill, and I had this manager that worked for me named Tiffany Pinto. And Tiffany Pinto was a remarkable girl. She uh, was a full-time college student. She also worked full-time as a manager for me while going to school for full-time. And she still had the energy and the time left over to work at a, I don't want to call it an orphanage. I don't know what they're called today, but it was this little home in Dallas where little girls that didn't have parents lived. And um, she would go and spend time there and minister to them. Well, she noticed this one little girl named Amber who never said a word, ever said a word. For weeks she worked with this group, and Amber would participate, but she wouldn't speak. She wouldn't talk. When all the other girls were laughing and joking and getting to know each other, she sat back all by herself, probably about five or six years old, little bitty girl. Who knows what her life had been like up to that point. All we know now is that she's an orphan, okay? Well, Tiffany said that for weeks Amber never, ever spoke at all. But then one day, Tiffany finally got a chance to share with these little kids the gospel. And she was talking to them about heaven. And she said the more that she talked about heaven, 
the more she could see Amber's eyes get just a little bit bigger. And the, more, the, the bigger her eyes got, the more she kind of would scoot over closer to the group and listen. And when Tiffany finally was able to give, a, uh, an, I guess, an altar call is the best way, you know, to ask the kids who would like to, to give their life to Jesus, Amber didn't do anything, but when it was all over with, she was walking away, and she felt this little tug on the back of her pants, and she turned around, and it was Amber. And she said, Kyle, she said, my eyes just immediately filled up with tears because I knew she was about to speak, and I'd never heard this little girl's voice. And she bent down, and she said, yes, Amber, what is it? And Amber said, Miss Tiffany, is heaven for little girls like me? Let me tell you something. I wish I could have seen the twinkle in God's eye when that little prayer went tumbling into his throne room. And that's exactly what that was. It was a little prayer. Is heaven for little girls like me? Yeah, she was asking Miss Tiffany, but that was coming from her heart. And how many times have we felt the same way when we were facing a tragedy, when we were facing a sickness that, that uh, was overwhelming? And we get down and we get down on our knee and we say, God, can you help me? God, can you hear me? How many times have you asked the question, God, are you there? I know I have. I know I have. But let me tell you something. The power is not in the prayer because this, this guy's prayer, it wasn't much of a prayer. And he wasn't much of a prayer. But the power is not in the prayer. The power is in the one that hears it. Amen? Now, Jesus, Jesus had every right to disregard his request, okay? I mean, let's, first of all, let's back up and again. Let's look, about, look at where he was before this. Just before this, him, Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, while they were there at the top of this mountain, suddenly they were surrounded by this bright white cloud. Jesus' clothes became sparkling white. The book of Luke says that his, his face was, and his clothes were as white as lightning. You almost, I picture that as being almost just unbearable to look at. Elijah and Moses came. Man, God spoke. You know, for the brief moment, Jesus got a glimpse of heaven. It was almost, you know, when I read that, I almost feel like that it was God's way of saying, hey, son, you're almost home. You're almost home. Don't get discouraged. I know you've got the worst is yet to come for you down there on earth. But this is what I have waiting for you, you know. And if you read on back, read on into the book of Revelations, when it talks about Jesus returning, it talks about how he's going to be returning in this shining white robe, how his feet are going to be like bronze, his face is going to be like bronze, his eyes are going to shine white. At the Mount of Transfiguration, it's my belief that God was giving Jesus a glimpse of what's to come, of what it's going to be like. You know, right now, Jesus, you're down there and you're my, you're my sacrificial lamb. But remember, you're going to return and you're going to return as the king, you know. So, Jesus is coming back from this, all right? He just saw a glimpse of heaven. Now, he walks down in this village, and what does he see? Well, here's his disciples arguing with the religious leaders who are very, very amused. You can only imagine they're having a field day with this one, right? Jesus' believers, they failed. Boy, you can imagine the religious leaders are loving this thing, okay? There's a gawking crowd standing around, and in the middle of all this chaos is this man... And his boy, who just want to be helped, 
for crying out loud. No wonder Jesus says, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? He just returned from a glimpse from heaven. And he walked right smack dab into the real glimpse of the earth. Never has the difference between heaven and earth been so stark. You know, as I said before, I grew up in Demet, Texas, up in the panhandle. And for any of you that's ever been up in the panhandle, let me tell you something. It's a whole lot of nothing. It's a whole lot of flat. Houston, right? I mean, you can st- we, I could stand out in our backyard and see our next door neighbor, which was three miles away. And we could see their house just clear as day, you know. And, you know, growing up in that kind of atmosphere, there was nothing special about that. You know, now that I'm, I'm older and I live here in the city, man, I would love nothing more than to go back to that farm where the stars are just by the billions and the water comes straight from the ground and it's 60 degrees at, at its hottest on the hottest summer day, you know. And it, it's just, it's God's country. But uh, at the time, you know, first, second, third grade, that place was just bleh. I couldn't wait to get to the city. Well, every year at, on Labor Day weekend, me and my family, we would head up to Rio Dosa, New Mexico. Rio Dosa, New Mexico, what a wonderful place. Mountains, forest, uh, Mount Capitan, right? Mount Capitan out there always had the snow up on top of it and everything. And you could see it for miles as you're approaching. It would, just, it would start on the horizon and just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And, man, we would go there every uh, Labor Day weekend and spend the weekend. And the biggest bummer is when we would come home. Because right after Labor Day weekend, school started. Back when I was a kid, I think school starts in the middle of July now, it seems like. But back then, school started. In fact, Labor Day weekend always signified the end of summer. You started school that next day. And so think about how sick I am. I'm heading back. I'm heading down from the mountains, hitting that old, flat, dry Texas panhandle, Looking back, seeing that mountain just getting smaller and smaller and smaller, realizing it's going to be another year before I get to go back, knowing that school starts tomorrow. Now, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm not comparing my journey to Jesus's there, but it's, it's the same, you know? I mean, he's coming from this glimpse of heaven down into this absolute chaos, and he doesn't like it. He's very upset. And he says, bring the boy to me. So they bring the boy to him. When the demon sees Jesus, when the spirit saw Jesus, read in verse 20, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Tells me this demon knew who Jesus was, right? So Jesus, you know, asked the boy's father, how long has it been like this? And he explains to him, he said, you know, from childhood, I mean, who knows how long it's really been. So Jesus touches him. Jesus commands the demon to come out. And the demon comes out. Everyone thinks he's dead. Jesus picks him up by the hand, lifts him up. Everything's fine. What really struck me about this passage, we're all fairly familiar with it, but really, what really struck me about this passage, it always puzzled me every time I read it, was when it talked about how when the disciples got him alone, and they said, 
how did you do that? I mean, if you remember, a few chapters back, they had been sent out on this mission out to the villages, right? And Jesus gave them power. And man, those guys, they took some names. You know, they, they, they wreaked some havoc. They threw out some demons. They saved some people. And so you can imagine that when this father brought the son up to these, these disciples and Jesus wasn't there, but you can imagine they're, they're kind of like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Been doing it for weeks, man. Should have seen what I did back here at this town. <laughs> Bring them to me, you know. Well, it ain't happening, right? So now they're just like, oh, what? What do we do? What? How come we couldn't do that? And the, the line that always threw a curveball at me was where Jesus says, this one could only be brought out by prayer. Now, for ages, I read that going, what prayer? No one prayed. The disciples didn't pray. They were too busy going, oh, I can't do it. You try it. No, I can't do it. You try it. Well, I did the last one. You know, you, you, I, uh, they didn't pray. Did the, did the religious leaders, did they all go back to church and hold a prayer vigil and, and maybe form a prayer committee and, and decide, you know, if, if they are indeed going to do anything about this? No, they didn't. The crowd apparently didn't pray. So I always ask myself, what prayer? <laughs> but you all know which one it is now. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Again, it's like I said earlier, the power, the power is not in the prayer. It's in the one that hears it. Jesus had pity on this father. Jesus had pity on this little boy. You see, that's what fathers do. That's what Jim Redmond did. Anybody in here know Jim Redmond? No. That's a stupid question. Why would I ask that? Of course you did. Jim Redmond... Well, okay. Has anyone ever heard of Derek Redmond? Wow, really? Okay. <laughs> Sixth grade. It was in your math class, right? <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. I'm sorry. I I have the worst. I guess you could say a bad habit of remembering um, real ob- um, obscure Olympic. People. Uh, okay. Derek Redmond, okay, the night, let's go back. 1992, the Olympics were in Barcelona. The summer games were in Barcelona, Spain. And Derek Redmond was from Britain, and he was favored to win the 400-meter dash. He was favored to win the gold medal. And I was watching it live. Um, well, you know, it was like 3 o'clock in the morning. I was watching it. And... Um, it was the finals. I mean, this was the medal, the medal match. He was, he was uh, running for the medal. And about, he, he started off and he got through the first turn. And just as he came out of the second turn, if y'all, if for those of you that aren't real savvy, you know, the 400 meter is one lap around. So they start here, they go all the way around, they finish here. Well, he started, he went through the first turn. As he's coming out of the second turn, he looked like he got shot. He's running, and I mean, he's leading the pack, and he's pulling away, and he just suddenly just back just arches, and he falls and slides about 10 feet on his stomach. His hamstring had ripped in half. Okay? Now, I'm tempted to then just reach up and turn it off because I'm like, well, that's, that's what I stayed up all this time for, you know? 
But then I watched, and I saw him struggle to get to his feet. And he takes off hopping down the track, pushing away medics and coaches that are trying to get him to stop, and he's shoving them away, and falling, getting back up, hopping a few more steps, falling. All of a sudden, you see this big man come out of the stadium, out of the stands. And he's, I mean, this man's huge, big, gigantic man. And he's wearing this T-shirt that says, have you hugged your child today? And he's got on this baseball cap that says, just do it. And it was Jim Redmond. It was his father. And he runs, and he, he runs down to the track, and he gets down by his son. And, and they were interviewing him later. That's how I knew what they said. And he was like, he's like, Derek, you don't have to do this. And Derek said, no, Dad. I've come all this way. I've trained all this way. I'm going to finish this race. And his dad said, all right, we're going to do it together. And so he picks up his son, puts his arm around his shoulder, fighting off security men, most of the way with his son's head buried in his chest. They stayed in his lane all the way to the finish line. And it was so cool because at first the crowd was just kind of quiet and silent watching it. But then they started, you know, that whole thing you see in the movies where they just kind of start slowly clapping and cheering. Next thing you know, they're panning through the, the stadium and 115,000 people are just bawling their eyes out. I'm sitting in this living room in Arlington, Texas, just bawling my eyes out. <laughs> watching this magnificent feat. You see, that's what fathers do. You know? That's what the father in the story did. He took his son and said, please, if you can. And that's exactly what God did in the story. He carried him. He carried that little boy back. Carried him back from that, that demon possession that he was in. Y'all, that's the power of a feeble prayer. You know, I want you to leave here knowing that your prayers matter is it's not how you pray it. It's who's listening. It's who's listening. So, hey, I made it with five minutes to spare. I don't have any kind of altar call or anything like that for you. But I'd like to pray. And just uh, as you leave, y'all, go home. If you're struggling with prayer, and, and we do. We all struggle sometimes. We all go through these dry spells where we just don't, where we feel like our prayers are just a bunch of noise, you know. But through all that noise, God's hearing the, if you can, could you please just help me, okay? Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. Thank you so very much, Lord, for, for saving me. Thank you for our salvation, Lord, above everything else, God. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. And Lord, thank you that you're a prayer hearing and a prayer answering, God. Thank you, Lord, that you don't require vocabulary. Thank you that you don't require skill. Thank you that, thank you, that you just hear us, Father. Oftentimes, before we even speak it, you know what our prayer is. And you've already gone to work on it. Thank you for that, Lord. Father, as we pray, make your presence real to us. Just help us to feel you more. Help us to hear you more. 
Lord, during the times when we're too scared, during the times that we even doubt you, God, make your presence even stronger on us during those times, Father. Lord, I pray your blessings on everyone here tonight, God. I pray that you give them travel's mercies on the way home. I pray that you surround them with your angels and with your hedge of protection. Father, I pray for any of their family members that are currently going through trials or sickness. God, we love you and we love what you're doing in our house, in your house. And we love what you're doing in our lives. We thank you and we praise you. And it's in your son's precious and holy and beautiful and powerful name that we pray. Amen. Thank you all. Have a good night.